Well, we're going to talk about prayer tonight. Usually the concept of prayer is something that is uh, often a big question that comes up in talking about uh, how to pray and why we should pray. And uh, I'll, I'll begin the lesson by just giving you a question to think and answer to yourself. Why do you pray if you do pray? So why would you do that? Why, why, what is the reasoning behind that? One of the things that you see in Matthew chapter 6 is uh, he has been correcting the false ideas that these Pharisees and religious teachers have in that day and time. He's already corrected them a little bit about prayer. He talked about prayer uh, and fasting and doing charitable works. The concern was that uh, what people were doing was doing it in such a way to be seen by people. And Jesus says, well, then you have your reward if you're doing those things in that way. Uh, but it is interesting as you, as you look at these 18 verses in Matthew chapter 6 that as he's correcting them about prayer, he takes almost a tangent for a minute and says, let me stop here for a few minutes and talk about what prayer looks like. You, if you were to keep going in the theme of what chapter 6 is doing, you would just simply would have had verses 5 and 6 to not pray in the street corners, but go into your inner room and close your door and to pray to your father who is in secret and your father uh, will see what is done in secret and reward you. And you would think the next thing would be then the fasting, but that's not till verse 16. From verse 7 all the way to verse 15 now, he spends quite a bit of time talking about prayer. So tonight we're going to talk about some of the prayer errors that are pictured here uh, by Jesus, how we then are supposed to talk to God, and then three goals for prayer that we find in this paragraph. So Matthew chapter 6, and you will notice in verse 7, he says, And when you are praying... Do not use thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive other people for their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your offenses. All right. So let's talk a little bit about some of the prayer errors that, that he notes here. Already talking about don't pray to be seen by other people. That's in verses 5 and 6. If you do that, that is your reward. But then he has this really interesting picture in verse 7. The New American Standard reads thoughtless repetition. ESV reads heaping up empty phrases and vain repetition, I think, is the New King James that I grew up on. And all of those are trying to get at an idea of what people were doing back then in the way they thought about prayer. The reason for the repetition and sometimes even the mindless repetition was the idea that if you prayed long enough or said a particular set of words... 
or said just enough words of whatever words they may be, you would be able to get God to pay attention to you. And so you would have, you know, long, long repetitions or just some kind of restatement or even things that are some translations speak of just babbling, just kind of going on and on. And the whole idea was if you could just throw out enough words or kind of get God worn down enough, then he is going to be compelled to listen to you. And God's answer to this, I think, is really interesting in verse 8 when he says, Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And this is a, a really beautiful picture that God is giving to us about the nature of prayer. Because what is happening is that prayer is not the means of getting God's attention. You know, sometimes we think about prayer like that. You know, well, I've got to get God's attention. And so if I say the right things, then that'll get him to pay attention to me. Or if I do some certain things, then he'll pay attention, uh, invoke some kind of repetition. And the point of verse eight is that you already have God's attention. Uh, he already knows what you need before you ask. You weren't coming to God in prayer and he was up there and he was asleep or on vacation or paying attention over here. And because you had a more significant lengthy prayer than somebody else around the world, you kind of, oh, okay, let me see what's going on over here and pay attention to that. You have Jesus explaining what's going on in prayers that this has nothing to do with the attention of God. God already sees what's happening. God knows what is going on in your life. And he knows exactly what you need. And I hope that that would, at a start point, be encouraging to you. This isn't about getting God's attention. This isn't about, okay, God, now I'm over here. Help me out. But instead, there is a different picture altogether. Now, what usually happens when you come into verse 8 and you dive bomb like this, I'm going to call this the nonsensical question. You'll see why I think it's nonsensical. I'm not trying to be insulting at all. But you'll see why it seems to be nonsense, I think, by the time I get through the other side of, of this idea. This question comes up. If God already knows what we need, then why do we need to pray? Because that's what he just said right there. Here, when you pray... Don't pray with thoughtless repetition and empty phrases and all of that. And the reason why is because God already knows what you need. And so sometimes we can read that and go, well, then why bother praying if he already knows what we need? And I think as you think about just that question for a moment, put that same framework of question in terms of a parent and child relationship. You imagine if the child said, you know, I guess I have no real reason to talk to my parents because they already know what I need. I mean, they, they know that I need to eat and they need to know they know I need to go to school. They need to know I need to have clothes. So since my parents know everything that I need, there must be no reason for me to ever talk to them. That's why I call it a nonsensical question, because that's ultimately what we are trying to do is put it in that framework and are missing the point that the whole effort of prayer is that God wants a relationship with us. I, I'm becoming more keenly aware of this as I'm in these teenage years, and unbelievably, my oldest not even is out of teenage years now. Um, and 
I remember this as a teenager myself, where uh, the parents would start asking you, so what are you doing today? And, and where are you going? And what's happening? And how was your day? And things like that. And you'd start to get to the point where you'd be like, uh, why are you being so intrusive? Why are you asking so many questions? Why don't you just leave me alone? As teenagers, you can feel like it's an interrogation. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I'm seeing, no, I just want to know what's going on in your life. It's not about a concern of, uh, oh, I'm concerned what you're doing. I just want to know what's going on. I just want to know your life. That is the idea of what prayer is all about, is that prayer is a conversation with God. That you're not supposed to read verse 8 and go, oh, well, since he already knows what I need, I guess I'm good to go and off on my weary way and never talk to him again. You're missing the whole function of prayer. Prayer is about conversation. It's about relationship. It's about a connection. It's not simply looking at God and saying, well, since you're the genie in the bottle and you know all of my wishes, then go, I don't need to talk to you anymore. And sometimes we look at prayer in that simplistic fashion. But if you think about it in a parent-child relationship, you can see why it's a nonsensical question. Because it's not about just getting what you need and so now I don't need to talk to God. But God is showing here how much he desires a relationship with us. And so that's why prayer is not about a thoughtless repetition, saying certain words. If you get a few key phrases, then then God must listen. As long as you sign off in Jesus' name, amen, he's certainly going to have to hear you now. You know, we, we sometimes look at prayer like that. And what prayer really needs to be to us in our minds is just a relationship where we are having a conversation with God. That's the picture. And that's what's going to be expressed in verses 9 through 13. Is he's going to now say, now, here's what the conversation looks like. This is what this is going to entail as we are talking to our Father and expressing our needs. And so first conversation point of how we are supposed to then talk to our Father. You see it there in verse 9 as well as in verse 10. I sum up those two Verses as what we are doing is seeking God and seeking his will. You think about what's going on there. You know, there's there's nothing like, okay, uh, our father who is in heaven. It's not like we have to tell God where he's at. You know, sometimes you have to think about what's happening as this is being set forward. That pray this to God. Hey, God, I'm on earth. You're in heaven and your name is holy. You ever thought about why that's set that way? That's obviously not for God's benefit. We we don't need to preach to God. We don't have to tell him what the Bible says. That's not what prayer is doing. Clearly, this is something about a benefit for us as we are engaging in this conversation. And the first piece of this engagement is that we are desiring God. We are desiring the character of God. We are desiring for God's plan, God's will, God's purpose to be carried out and accomplished in the world as well as in our own lives. And that's what you're seeing pictured there is that his name is holy. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are desiring for God's will to be done on earth, to be accomplished through the world, to be 
conquering nations that stand against him, conquering hearts that are rebelling against him. We want God's will and God's ways to extend to all people, including even ourselves. And so here is this first conversation piece with God is that they are filled with seeking God, seeking his glory, seeking his will, seeking his ways. This is what this is is setting up. I want God's will to be accomplished. And as we walk through these conversation points, we're going to notice that it's really going to reorient the way we think about how we pray, but that's going to be at the end of the lesson. But I want you to kind of start thinking about if we look at prayer in the way that Jesus is prescribing this, it really reorients what the conversation's going to be about. So the first picture there is this conversation about seeking God and seeking his will. Second, you'll notice in verse 11 is that we are able to seek God's provision or seek God's care. Uh, when you read verse 11, I hope that that may give you a kind of reminder or ring a bell of sorts of when Israel was in the wilderness And there was this absolute dependence upon God to take care of them the next day. They had nothing for the next day. It was absolutely God is going to have to give us food and water tomorrow. We don't have it ourselves. And there was this reliance to say, okay, God, I trust that tomorrow when we wake up, there's going to be bread on the ground. And that there's going to be water somewhere. And you are going to give us the provisions we need and the care that we need to be able to get through this day. And I think that's something interesting when you consider what Israel was expected to do. Remember, they complained rather than believing that God would provide for them. And you have here in this moment this picture of our ability as well as our willingness to trust God, even when we don't know how we will be cared for tomorrow. Now, we don't get a good practice at that too often. Probably for most of us, there's not really a concern about what we will eat, what we will drink, or what we will wear, or where we will live tomorrow. And that can be a danger. One of the, well, this is weird and hard to say, but I'll say it. One of the positives of the COVID pandemic was it broke us out of the presumption of our own will taking care of ourselves tomorrow and put a lot of doubts and questions in life that these kinds of people had on a regular basis that we just take for granted. I mentioned when it was going on two years ago and we talked about you walk into the grocery store and things weren't like what they used to be. And it was like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, God, you said you'll take care of us, even though there's not an ounce of meat to be found in the grocery store. Okay, you're going to provide, right? And sometimes we need that kind of reality reminder that this is not about us taking care of ourselves, but a prayer that speaks to God that says, I am dependent upon you and I recognize that you provided for me today and you will be the reason why I am provided for tomorrow. That's what that prayer is saying. 
We are seeking God's provision. We are seeking God's care. And how wonderful it is that God says, you don't have to only pray about spiritual things. You can pray about your physical needs and your physical concerns. That God will listen to that and he will care for that. In fact, we are instructed here to even do it. And then you'll notice he does move to the spiritual Where the very next line is in verse 12 about the forgiving of our debts, the forgiving of our sins. A third conversation point as much as the care of us physically matters and is important, even more so is about our daily spiritual needs. And I would submit to you every day we are worthy of coming to God and saying, forgive my faults, my mistakes, my errors and my sins. And that's what Jesus is portraying here. And I think it is important that we would do that, that we would never fail to look to God in prayer and say, I understand my need for forgiveness. I understand that that is a constant need and a constant process. And you see Jesus offering that in this prayer as well. And finally, in verse 13, you see this final conversation point, which is about seeking God's direction and seeking God's deliverance. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A picture of I am coming to God and I am asking God to lead me in the right direction. Keep me from temptations. Move me through these trials. Uh, Deliver me from those moments. We are coming to God and saying, I know today is going to be filled with all kinds of difficulties and temptations and issues and things that are going to challenge my faith. And God, I'm praying for you to help me through that, to help me overcome it, to lead me in the right directions. Take me down the right paths as I go through the day. In all of these things, you are seeing a tremendous dependence upon God in every aspect of life. And that's what Jesus is doing. The intent of this prayer is not that you would just recite that and turn this into a thoughtless repetition, which so often happens in the religious world. The very thing Jesus said not to do, but instead understand what this is keying in on. We are seeking God. We are seeking God's will. We are seeking God's care. We are seeking his forgiveness and we are seeking his leadership as we go through the day that is before us. Now, before I go forward in the lesson, I'd like for there to be kind of a mental stop and saturation on this point for a moment. And just for each of us to think and consider, do we leave out any of these conversation points when we talk to God? Are there things that we just simply skip by? Are we talking to God and talking about our desire for him and for his will to be accomplished, his purposes to be done throughout the earth, in this country, in this community, in my family, in my life? Are we talking to God that way? Are we talking to God and saying, I know the reason I was able to eat wonderfully whatever I wanted today was simply because of you. And it is only because of you that we have this prosperity and we are able to be able to enjoy these great blessings. Are we talking to God about our sin life? Are we constantly speaking to him about our failures and our need to forgive for forgiveness and how we can do better at that? Are we talking to God about 
the areas of temptation that we know Monday is going to bring to us? Are we talking to him ahead of time and saying, help me be strong. Give me different paths. Give me better ways that I can go so that tomorrow is not like yesterday. That that's what this is bringing up for us. Do we talk to our father and speak to him about these things? These are the things that Jesus says we ought to be talking about. Now, I think there's something very interesting about this prayer. Aren't verses 14 and 15 seemingly out of place in what we're talking about? Here we are talking about prayer and how we talk to God. And here's what the conversations look like and the things that we are seeking. And then we have this little divergence over here that says, by the way, let's just have a chat about forgiveness. (laughs) Verses 14 and 15, I think are so interesting that as he's instructing about prayer and the desire that we would have as we come to God and pray, he reminds us and says in verse 14, If you forgive other people for the offenses that they have against you, then your heavenly father will also forgive you. However, if you refuse to forgive other people, then the father is not going to forgive your offenses. And I hope that we would think about what Jesus is doing here in this moment is we are praying to God for forgiveness And as we are praying to God, there is almost a a stone, a warning, a flag that is supposed to be given to us in the middle of prayer. Which is asking us, so are you being forgiving? You're asking God to forgive you and hopefully every prayer contains some kind of conversation piece about forgiveness. And as you are asking for that forgiveness, are you willing to forgive others? And I don't know of a more terrifying thing to think about than for our hearts, our minds, or our words to ever say, I cannot forgive that person. Because Jesus says, then your heavenly father is not going to forgive you. And that should just be terrifying that the moment our hearts would ever have some kind of sense of uh, an unwillingness to forgive, this should rattle in. Because I know what happens is that we look at it, well, but you don't know what I've gone through. You, How could I possibly forgive them? Because they've done A, B, C through Z and backward back to A again, all of these things against me. But I want you to see that we're supposed to be forgiving because we've been forgiven. In fact, notice the motivation that Jesus is giving when we are in those moments where forgiveness is hard. We're being told by God, here's the engine to give you the motivation to forgive. You want God to forgive you. And it is impossible for us. To be unwilling to forgive others if we have a very strong awareness of our need for our own forgiveness. It's only when we forget how much we need to be forgiven that we would ever dare say, I cannot forgive that person. Our desire for God to forgive us is the great motivator that we need. And as we then pray... 
to God. Lord, forgive me of the sins that I've committed this day. It is intended to strike our hearts so that in the back of your mind, you are asking, well, have I been forgiving others? I can't be going before God and asking for this if I'm unwilling to be forgiving of others. So I think verses 14 and 15 are very important in the picture that's being given to us. And I hope that as we pray for forgiveness, that this question will always be in the tail end, coming into your mind every single time. As I'm asking God to forgive, how am I doing about forgiving others? Have I been forgiving like God has been forgiving me? Have I been willing to do that? Because that's what Jesus attaches here as he describes this prayer. All right. I said there were three goals to prayer. Let's talk about those three goals. I'm sure there's one million goals of prayer, but I think there are three that we can drive out of this text that we are looking at this evening. And so as we consider the purpose of prayer, number one, the goal of prayer especially from verses 9 and 10, is to reorient ourselves to our right place and to reorient God to his rightful place so that we seek him and seek his will. I think one of the functions of prayer and why verses 9 and 10 sit here about talking about who God is, is as I mentioned, not like he doesn't know that he's holy and it does not like he doesn't know he's in heaven and it doesn't like he's going to not accomplish his will. So why are we talking about those things except to reorient ourselves about where we are before God and reorient in our minds where God should be in our minds and in our hearts as holy and in heaven and that we would understand that very picture when we affirm God's holiness and our desire For God's will to be accomplished in my life, in this world, in this country, in this community. When my prayer understands that great desire for God's purposes to be accomplished, it immediately changes the way I'm going to talk to God about prayer. It's going to change how I'm speaking about things. It's going to change what those requests really look like as I talk to God. Because now my praying lives before God is going to be very much like what Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. These first two sentences are trying to reorient that. As you come to God and as you are conversing with him, the goal is his purpose to be accomplished, his will to be done. And so now that's going to change how I pray as an example Now I'm not going to just pray, God, in the trial and in my pain. I'm going to reorient that prayer now so that I want to know how this trial and this pain is accomplishing your will, Lord, in my life and in the lives of people around me. I'm reoriented by thinking about who he is. And I'm seeking him and his will and his desire and his purposes. So now it's not just God do what I want, genie in the bottle, please answer my wish. But rather as I'm going through the pain, and yes, I want the trial to stop. But but more than that, God, help me understand why I need this. 
And how this is bringing about my own salvation and my own holiness and my own refining. And God, help me see how your purposes and your will are being done through these difficulties and hardships. So this is what I think Jesus is doing and showing us this goal of prayer is that reorientation of the way we look at God and the way we converse with God. So that the prayer is not a selfish prayer. Remember, James 4 tells us, You pray selfishly for your self-desires. You're praying amiss and God's not doing anything about it. This keeps us from that. Okay, God, it's about your will and your ways and your purpose. So how can that be done as I'm going through what I'm going through? As I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with and experiencing what I'm experiencing? Number two, goal of prayer clearly is so that we would depend upon God and not on ourselves. You certainly see that in verse 11 in, in turning around and saying to give us the, the bread that we need today. Give us the care that we need. The nature of prayer itself is intended so that we would depend upon him and not ourselves. And I would submit as a test of sorts If we do not have a vibrant prayer life, it truly reflects that we don't see that our lives are dependent upon him. We're running our lives. We're taking care of business. We've got everything figured out. And we will only then talk to God when we see our life off the rails. But as long as things seem on track don't need prayer. Notice that's not how Jesus puts this forward. Jesus puts forward prayer as helping us understand how much we need to depend upon God. We are asking God to give us truly what we need today. Give us the care we need, the food we need, the clothing we need, the shelter we need. And ultimately, when you see that first word in verse 11, give, Give, it means we are expressing an understanding that God is the one who gives it. Lord, give us our bread. Well, then who's the giver? God is. It is this prayer that is expressing then our complete dependence upon God. It is something that the scriptures frequently put their finger on that I know that I think I have missed far too often that I'm seeing far more clearly now that you in scriptures for example when the apostle Paul went to the city of Athens and he proclaimed to them about the true and living God that they needed to seek he he told them this characteristic about God when he said that it is in God that we live move and exist You ever thought about prayer that way and understanding that kind of dependence? Paul said it is in him that we live, move and exist. That pretty much takes everything in your life and puts it in God's hands and says, God, I understand that you're the giver of it. 
The reason I'm alive today is because God has allowed it. And the reason I move today is because God has allowed it. The reason that I'm able to enjoy anything today is because God has allowed it. Paul gave those very words and had that very perspective. And that will certainly change how we pray is that we're dependent upon him and his will to give us what we need for our lives. James said it this way when he said in James 4.13, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, why would James say what we need to say is if it is God's will, we will live. And do this or that, except that is a reality. That wasn't so that before we start every sentence, we would say, now, if the Lord wills, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to eat dinner. Just, you know, let's got to throw that on there. But to really mean it, that's only going to happen if it's God's will. It is by his will that happens. And so we're trying to get a picture about how our whole life depends upon God. And that is certainly what God was trying to teach Israel in the wilderness. If God wanted Israel to starve in the wilderness, they would have starved. But God said, let me show you that I'll take care of you just at the right time. Right when you need water, here it comes. Right when you need food, Here it comes. And then you have Moses come along and go, oh, and by the way, don't forget, for 40 years, your shoes and your clothes didn't wear out. Go figure. Hmm. Wonder how that happened. Oh, well, you know, it just happens. We we do that somehow. I think in our culture, because we've become so scientific, so physical, so natural, we absolutely disregard the truth that it is through him we live, move, and exist. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. And that's what James says. Prayer is to change us so that we will understand that every moment depends upon God. Three. Third goal of prayer. Is to propel us to seek spiritual growth and life direction. I believe that's what verses 12 through 15 are now doing as that prayer concludes is that we are talking to God about our temptations. We are talking to God about our trials that we are enduring. We are talking to God about delivering us from evil. We are asking God's help as we resist the devil. We are asking God to take us in the right direction of life. We are asking God to give us the wisdom we need to make spiritually wise decisions. We are getting this picture again and again that we want God to lead us. And so as we think about the concepts of this prayer, lead us, don't lead us into temptation, deliver us from evil, that forgive us, Lord. And immediately that would spark within us spiritual growth. I'm asking God for forgiveness. Wait a minute. Am I forgiving everybody else? Have I forgiven my spouse, my children, my parents, my coworkers, people at church? Immediately we're getting spiritual growth and a leading from God as we're asking him in prayer. That's what's happening here. 
propelling us for that life direction and leading us in the way that we need to go. And so I hope that that would help us get a picture for that. Now, let me end with this one quick thing. I titled this lesson, Hope in Prayer. And I did that with reason for this moment right here. Jesus tells us to pray in this way. Is he asking us to pray for the impossible? Or is this reality? This is not theoretical prayer life. But what Jesus is telling us is to pray for these things, not because they're impossible, but so that God will do it. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your will needs to be done in this land and in this country and in this culture and in this world. And God can do it. Are we praying it? God, give us what we need today. And we trust that you will care for us tomorrow. That's not a prayer of the impossible, but a prayer of hope. God, you've got tomorrow. You're going to take care of me. Give me what I need for tomorrow. Lord, forgive us our debts. That's not an impossibility. And he's saying, you talk to God and you ask for forgiveness and God will grant it. Verse 13, do not lead us into temptation. Lord, get me away from the temptations that I know are going to hit me tomorrow. Walk me the other direction. Give me smooth sailing tomorrow. Keep these trials out of my life. Make it so that I can make the right decisions, Lord. You are seeing here that this is not a prayer of the impossible, but God saying, ask these things from me. If you want hope in trial, pray. You want hope over temptation, pray. You want forgiveness, pray. You want taking care of for your provisions for your life, for things that are going on physically and, and for your care and, and food and clothing and job, pray. You want to see God's will be done in your life, pray. You want to see a radical change in this country that seeks God with all of its heart, pray. You want to see the word flourish around the world? Pray. This is not a theoretical prayer. And it is not the prayer of the impossible. Jesus said, tell your father about all of these things. Let's go to God in prayer now. Our Heavenly Father... Lord, it is amazing to think that you listen to us, that you hear us, that you always pay attention to us and that you care for us. The words of David are so true. Who are we as humans that you are mindful of us? God, thank you for listening to us. 
Thank you for the care that you give. Thank you for the provisions you provide. Thank you for the blessings we have. Thank you for the forgiveness we enjoy. Thank you how you are always our rock and fortress and help us through all of our trials and pick us up after every temptation. Lord, we pray that your will would be accomplished. Lord, we want your purposes to be done here in this city. And Lord, we want to be the instruments of it. Help us to be the light and salt that you want us to be. Help us to shine as lights in this area. Help us to speak to our neighbors and live our lives so that people would be glorified by you. Lord, bring people to this building to hear your word proclaimed. Give us opportunities to teach. Lord, we know that our country has strayed so far from you. Lord, we pray your will would be done in this country, that there would be a turning back to you, that there would be a great repentance. That Lord, we know that that needs to happen. We know that we are a nation that is worthy of judgment. And we know that we are so far from you. God, please give us more time to turn the hearts of the people back to you and that your will would be accomplished here and in our country and all over the world. May your will and your plan always be done. God, thank you for taking care of us all of these days and all of these years. And Lord, we know that everything that we have enjoyed this very day is because you have given it to us. And Lord, we pray that you would give us exactly what we need tomorrow so that not only we can serve you, but that we can be the people of God, that of you that you want us to be. And Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us and forgive us for being unforgiving. And God, I pray that it would prick our hearts every time that we would have a heart of unforgiveness. Lord, help us to be people that are reconcilers and peacemakers that are resolving conflicts and restoring relationships. Help us to be those people and forgive us for every single sin and every single failure. Lord, it's a new week this week. We pray that you'd keep us from temptations, that you would make us strong, help us stand in the faith. Help us overcome the temptations that we know Satan will certainly throw at us. Help us to endure trials. Our faith can get weak and our resolve can shake because of how hard life can be. And so deliver us through our trials. Deliver us from evil. Keep us from Satan. And Lord, we pray that you would carry us home one day as we seek you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. What a picture of prayer in such a condensed way. Jesus gave us a beautiful idea of how we converse with our Father. And I hope it encourages you to talk to your God and Father far more in the days ahead. Can we help you come to your Father this very evening to turn away from sin? To follow him faithfully. If you're willing to do that, you can come forward now while we stand and while we serve.